Thank you for listening to the Manage Smarter Podcast. Your hosts, C. Lee Smith and Audrey Strong, navigate new ways to hire, develop, and retain talent, helping your team soar to higher performance. This is the Manage Smarter Podcast. Welcome to the Manage Smarter Podcast, everyone. And I am Audrey Strong, the Director of Communications for Sales Fuel. And I'm C. Lee Smith, the President and CEO of Sales Fuel. Well, we have a very special day today, Audrey. Very special day. Of course, the author of In Search of Excellence, Tom Peters, author of 17 books and tons of wisdom over 35 years. And guess what's just out? The Excellence Dividend. Tom, your latest, it's a, a great read. I really enjoyed reading this. Thank you for being here. Well, that's, I appreciate that. I've gotten some pretty good Amazon reviews and I got a bad one <laughs> and it said, well, no, it was really, it was really wonderful. It said it was too much in my face. And to which my response on Twitter was, what the hell did you think I was trying? To <laughs> Have do? you read Tom Peters before? <laughs> I'm trying to do my best in print of whacking you over the head because there's nothing, there's nothing special or intellectual in the book. It's stuff that every single human being knows. And in the heat of the battle or whatever it is, people just don't do it. Yeah. Number one new release in motivational business management. So get at it, everyone. That's right. I've already bought two copies of it. So fabulous. You only have two friends to buy copies for? Come, come on, Lee. You can do a little better than that. Hey, you know, this interview might prompt me to do a whole bunch more. So, <laughs> okay. Yeah. If I, I can, listen, I'm a sales guy. If I can even get you the three, you know, that's a 50% boost. So, we can ask for more. One of the many things you and I have in common, Tom. So, yeah, I was reading, you use this phrase a lot in the book. and you refer to a model that you helped build back in your consulting days at McKinsey before you started writing books and everything like that. You say the hard is soft and the soft is hard. What do you mean by that? Well, what I mean is, you know, if to, to not bore you out of your mind, we wrote the book back in 1982. The Japanese were taking on the Americans in the marketplace. They were hammering us in automobiles, which is, you know, gets right to our psyche and our ego. And their incredible secret was their cars worked and ours didn't. <laughs> you know, we were the marketing geniuses, but they actually had cars that when you turned the ignition, the darn thing started. So Chiro Honda said a really brutal thing at one point. He said, whenever new emission standards are passed in the United States, GM hires 80 lawyers and we hire 80 engineers. Mm. And that's one you you know run and hide under the covers. At any rate, the point being, there were a couple of Harvard professors who got to our story before we did, and they published an article. It was called "Managing Our Way to Economic Decline," hmm. and they hmm. attacked their own business school. They said the business schools are paying attention too much attention to the finance stuff, the marketing stuff. They're not paying attention to what makes for good quality. That is the people stuff. And so my point is that the numbers and the plans are soft. I mean, for God's sakes, all we have to do is think back to the 2008 crash, mm -hmm. subprime mortgages, derivatives, the numbers meant nothing. The numbers are soft and the hard stuff is the people, the relationships, the culture of the organization. That's the stuff that lasts and that's the stuff that lets you keep on top or get to the top as the case may be. So what other people call hard, I call soft. What other people call soft, I call hard. Soft skills are hard. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
let me just add one thing to that. And, you know, this is kind of skipping ahead or whatever it is. And again, we all know this stuff. Everything you read today is speed, 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 speed because of all the change. Mm. And to deny that would be nutty. And I don't deny it. But the essence of success in marriage, the essence of success in business is relationships. And relationships take time. So part of my message is everything is changing. Be trying stuff all the time. But the basis for it, I mean, for heaven's sakes, when, you know, the basis for making a sale is a relationship and relationships don't happen in a flash, whether you are selling retail or whether you're trying to sell $3 billion worth of jet engines to Emirates. Yeah. And I think that's pretty evident then too, just by Audrey and I were commenting about you know, your books over the years. And we were commenting about the quick read bullet point format of the excellence dividend. And I was comparing that to Braving on Chaos, which candidly is a very heavy read and uh, huge differences. But it's like, you know, I think that the, one of the essences is you have to be able to communicate to be heard and, and to actually have, have a relationship. I figured I was just getting older, Lee, so I'm writing shorter sentences. <laughs> well, I have a shorter attention span than most. Or whatever, God, so I so really, it's going to work like a charm. Oh, it's beautiful. <laughs> it's beautiful. So what do you say to all those companies? You talk a lot about culture in this book as well. And there's a lot of companies out there that, that pay lip service to culture, just like they've done with other topics over the years. And they never put, seem to put much money or accountability into it. What would you say to those folks right now? You mean other than hitting them over the head with a two by four or better yet, a four by 10? <laughs> yeah. If we could figure out a way to do that on a podcast, yeah, yeah. you could have that. Yeah, we could. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Well, you know, a big part of the problem and my problem is the stuff isn't sexy or sophisticated. And I don't know why people don't do it. There's a little story in the book. I've forgotten the book it came from. And a guy who's, I guess he's a consultant, is sitting next to a CEO. And they're having an annual review. And they're talking about all the people stuff, the culture stuff, and so on. And the author of the book, the consultant, turns to the CEO and says, why don't other people talk about this stuff? And the CEO answers, you know, I think they're kind of ashamed. And it's a funny answer, but it's not a funny answer mm-hmm. in the sense that people just don't think that's where they ought to be spending, you know, spending their time. I mean, let's take one little teeny example. Going way back to the 1970s in the research on In Search of Excellence, my co-author Bob Waterman and I went down to Hewlett Packard, which was then a really fabulous, fast-moving company. They subsequently had serious problems. And we learned from the president, John Young, about the HP way. And the center of the HP way was MBWA, or managing by wandering around. Mm -hmm. And that was a life changer in a way, because it means what it means. But MBWA also means being in, in touch, staying, hanging around with the people who do the work and so on. And so my frustration now since 1977 is why bosses don't do MBWA. We know the reason because you're a boss and you think you're there to solve problems and you get to work at seven in the morning or eight in the morning and there are 20 problems on your desk and you say, my God, I got to deal with them. You deal with the darn problems now at six o'clock at night. And once again, you didn't get around to talking to the engineers, to the coders, to the finance people or what have you. And You know, the first part of it, which just isn't very helpful, I am aware, 
is you've got to have self-discipline. You've got to spend time with, you know, the people who are doing the work. And that's the key to culture is not a big thing. Culture is one million tiny little things. Mm -hmm. You know, I have a favorite company in that regard that I write about a lot. Some people who are, you know, who are listening to us probably remember Commerce Bank in the United States. Now it's Metro Bank in the UK and Commerce was said that sold to Toronto Dominion for about nine billion bucks. But the Commerce CEO and the Commerce CEO's wife, interestingly enough, spend forever on culture. And supposedly that you got your frontliner and you got offered a job at Metro Bank, all right? You come to work at Metro Bank, you know, bright eyed and bushy tail, wet behind the ears. The first thing that happens is they issue your badge, they give you a kick in the backside <laughs> and send you to a full two week course totally focused on the company culture. Nice. They do not teach you how to add one and one to get two because they assume you've got that. They want you to understand the context and the environment that they have. When I worked at Ritz-Carlton, it was the same thing. It was like a two or three day immersion into the Ritz culture from top to bottom. Like two, Oh, you know, Audrey. Yeah. You have just made my day and week and month. <laughs> Why is that? No, no, no. Here's the deal. I mean, you gave me the entry line hmm. the, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. The, the Ritz-Carlton credo is ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen. That's correct. And in the hotel industry, think of housekeepers in particular, they have probably not been treated like ladies and gentlemen in their entire adult life. And it's a wonderful example of all this. It is a trivial collection of words, ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen. It's dynamite. It's dynamite times a thousand. I mean, I'm, I am absolutely so in love with that phrase. And, and, and again, in a way, relative to Lee's comment, you know, anybody could write the phrase down and say, yeah, that's a good one. Let's do that. But it is, as you know, I remember, oh, my God, who was the famous president of Ritz-Carlton? Oh, there's who, been several. Right? But it depends on well, the Well, one of them said that every morning he starts out with about a 30-minute walk, and the 30-minute walk is a pure, raw, unmedicated meditation on better service and the people who do the service. Mm -hmm. And I love that. Yeah, they're owned by Marriott now. So culture has mutated a little bit, but it's it's interesting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they're, they're doing pretty. I have a very good friend who was a senior. He was the head of sales for Marriott when the very good friend, when the merger went down. And I remember the first thing when I read it, I called Roger. I said, Roger, don't screw it. <laughs> well, <Yeah>. did he? <laughs> well, I, the, the answer in a way, Lee, and Audrey knows it better than I, so I will turn it over to her. The when Enormous companies tend to lose their cultural edge, period. Mm -hmm. You know, whether it's IBM or whether it's HP, which is not the HP I knew years mm -hmm. ago, it is really, really, really hard to hold on to. Wouldn't you agree, Audrey? Yeah, there were you, I came into the company in 2006 and they swore that they would keep a firewall between the Ritz-Carlton culture and Marriott, but those walls have been coming down over the years for efficiency's sake, and now it's totally different. Yep. I uh, I don't even think I want to hear the rest of the story in a way. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, I'll shut up. It'll break your heart. Yeah. <laughs> 
One of the things we wanted to ask about, and I found a passage in your book, Lee, that I told Lee I wanted to, to ask you about, you know, this idea of artificial intelligence and physicians and lawyers and, you know, white collar professionals being replaced by AI and the phase shifts now shortening to five years instead of 25 years. Right. That's terrifying and should be terrifying for us and everybody listening to this podcast. Can you expand on it? Well, I want to, I don't want to back off, but what I do want to, here's kind of the way I look at it. It's coming, but incredibly intelligent people and with all due respect to the three of us, probably far more higher IQs than we have are all over the map in terms of the estimate. Some of them say five to 10 years. Some of them say 15 to 25 or 30 years. But my bias, which is the essence of the book, is I don't care whether it's five years or I don't care whether it's 35 years. The key is, particularly with our younger workers who've got 30 years left in the workforce, the key is that every leader has a, and this is a huge word for me, which I have not used in other books, has a moral Mm. responsibility. Mm -hmm. You know, you get somebody in for a year or two and they go off somewhere else, the Every leader has a moral responsibility to have the person walk out the door better prepared for the future than they were when they came in. Mm -hmm. Now, the good news is, you know, back to sort of Ritz-Carlton kinds of things, at least in the old days, is that's a hell of a way to make money as well, Mm -hmm. because it's going to mean better service and so on. But, you know, it's, I mean, it's scarier than hell if it was coming in five years. You know, we should all, you know put down the phone and start building the bunker. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's going to happen, but I do think that there is, and again, particularly if you were a 35-year-old, let alone a 25-year-old, day to get ready is now. There's a, a little line in the book somewhere, and I was talking to this really very, 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 very high-end investment banker. It wasn't Warren Buffett, but you know, same league, and he said to me over a dinner, he said, what do you think the number one problem is with CEOs? And I said, I can, you know, being a born smart aleck, <laughs> I said, I can tell you 50, but I can't pick one. And his answer was, and you could have knocked me over with that proverbial feather, his answer was, they don't read enough. Mm-hmm. Oh, and yeah. I think all of us have got to be students. Let me tell you a wonderful, to me, it was a wonderful story. And then let's talk about it. Because it's really easy to talk about people who have fancy degrees from the University of Michigan or the God help us all, the Harvards and the Yales. But my wife and I had a compressor problem with our sub-zero refrigerator, okay? Guy came to fix it. He has about a four or five person appliance repair company. I would guess that he's 45 years old. I sincerely doubt that he has a really high bank account. We got the chatting because I sort of talk with everybody. He had just gotten back from a three-week course that he paid for out of his own pocket on basically the Internet of Things. Because anybody who's reading knows that the refrigerator is going to be talking to Amazon and it's going to be talking to your doctor about the fact that you had two extra glasses of wine and ice cream and so on. Wow. <laughs> And, but it's the classic case. You know, it's not 
the big deal college grad. It's not the person in the sexy job. It is a 45-year-old guy with a small company who knows that he's got to keep up, try to get ahead of the game. And you know, in a way, that's, that is my favorite example in the world of this stuff. Right. And I bet you that the odds of him surviving and thriving over the next mm-hmm. years is a heck of a lot higher than the person who doesn't do that. But, you know, th- I don't know what three weeks would cost you, but for heaven's sake, what do you figure? Two or three thousand oh, bucks, sure. probably. Yeah. yeah, but the big payoff from that story, which I love, by the way, is that a lot of companies don't seem to, you know, they, they'll train people, but they don't train the managers on how to be better managers. They don't coach them on improving their managerial skills. And so with that in mind, then what I like about the story is, is that it tells the manager, okay, if you're not getting the training to be excellent in your craft, then go out and do it yourself and invest in yourself because these days we're all free agents. That's what I love about it. Absolutely. No, 100%. You know, we hope your company supports you, but it's you and your family at the end of the day. And if you have to, you have to do it on your own. And of course, the good news is the online courses are getting more frequent. The quality is going way up. The prices aren't as outrageous as they would be if you're sitting in a classroom. And so the availability of good education is also going through the roof. And that's a, you know, kind of an offset factor. But I mean, you also hit on something which you guys might have come across in the book. And given fundamentally what you're up to, I'm sure you did. You know, I was in the Navy for four years. The Navy is run by its chief petty officers. The Army is run by its sergeants, mm-hmm. and every company, including the moderate-sized car dealership, let alone the Giants, is as good as its full set of first-line bosses or as bad as its full set of first-line bosses. And in my experience, and you almost hinted at this, I don't think people take that position seriously That's enough. Right. You know, I wrote this thing in the book. And I was a, you know, the Navy paid my way through college and I was a junior officer. And I said, look, if all the lieutenants and the captains and the majors were killed, that would be, you know, really something horrible. If all the sergeants were killed, it would be game over. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the research is there now, too. It says quality of the first line managers associated with quality of product, productivity, retention rate every variable known to humankind. And I don't think we take those people seriously enough. And particularly when we do that thing, oh my God, it's an open slot. Let's pick the best person we have. I mean, to me, you know, don't worry about picking a vice president. Vice presidents are a dime a dozen. A good sergeant is worth her or his weight in something a lot more valuable than gold. Yeah, because you wrote in the book that people don't understand that everything they do as managers is exponential. I believe that was. Absolutely. Well, you know, one way, and I don't know the degree to which I can use language, it's maybe not appropriate. So I won't. Go ahead. ahead, Have at it. This is managed smarter. We're managers. (laughs) My my one liner is if you bust your one ass helping the 10 people who work for you grow, they will bust their 10 asses making you a hero. There you go. That's fantastic. So I'm allowed to say that. I didn't I didn't cross over the uh, the fabled line. Oh, well, I guess. Oh, I can't. There's a question I want to ask you later or whatever. I'm using some of that language, too. So it's coming. So. Uh, Fabulous. 
how do these frontline managers keep themselves from being replaced by algorithms and things like IBM's Watson and everything like that, as you kind of hint at in the book? Well, I want to go back to Audrey and the Ritz-Carlton. Okay. I have always said, and you may disagree with this too, but I have always said my favorite job would be to be in charge in a sizable hotel of a 53-person housekeeping department. Why did I choose 53? Because 53, this was a couple of years ago, maybe the numbers changed, 53 is the number of players on an active-duty National Football League Mm -hmm. uh, roster, okay? Okay. And I'm going to sit down or stand up, and I'm going to talk with my 53 people, and I am going to say we are a group of 53 human beings attempting to provide great service. There is no difference between the 53 of us and the New England Patriots. They are our fellow human beings. We are their fellow human beings. We care about what we do. Now, the, you know, the answer to the question, Lee, is, you know, I will not say Audrey, let's say Jane or Dick, who is not here on this conversation with us. Jane or Dick will hire their housekeepers using an algorithm, and they will schedule using sexy algorithms. And I'm not against efficiency, God alone knows, but my group of New England patriots-like housekeepers who I am helping to grow and so on will beat the crap out of their people in terms of productivity. Because we're on a mission. We're on a mission to do Super Bowl service in our whatever, 175 or 275 room hotel. And as the statistics say, incidentally, the face-to-face contact with guests, the people who have the most of it are in fact the housekeepers. So I'm going to win that battle. And not only, there's a wonderful book, which, which I quote, and he also was nice enough to give me a dust jacket thing. And it's called The Dream Manager, written by a guy by the name of uh, Michael Kelly. And interestingly, it's a parable book, but it's based on uh, industrial housekeeping services companies. And what he says, and again, I think of that housekeeping department, he says, everybody helps has a dream. And often as not, that housekeeper is a single mom trying to raise two kids. She's holding two jobs down, and she would love to be able to just start breaking out with one little course at a local community college and so on. Mm -hmm. And he said it is the boss's job to help people realize those dreams. Mm -hmm. Now, housekeeping is not about that accounting course, but his argument is that if she is following her dreams, she will be much, much better in terms of spirit and attitude in the housekeeping job. So that's a Heck of a long-winded question, but <laughs> but my team of fifty-three housekeepers is going to beat the heck out of Mister Algorithm's team. Okay, because you're being human beings. Because we're being human beings. Because we care. They care about the housekeeping. They smile more when they're talking to a, you know talking to a guest and so on. We're going to beat them on efficiency. We're going to beat the heck out of them in terms of their contribution to you know to happy clients. And happy clients at the end of the day are still number one. You know, I'm in favor of efficiency. I'm going to be using a lot of software. There's no question about that. But it is the attitude, the care, and the growth of the people which is going to win the game. 
That's the reason I still answer my phone now. Good afternoon. This is Audrey. I still answer it just because I, that's how I answered the phone for years in my office. Yeah. In the hotel. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. People love when you answer and, the phone And like stuff that. like that, Audrey, <laughs> is a huge deal. Mm-hmm. I know. It's a nice you know, I mean, it's a truly huge deal in differentiating, you know, one from other people who, who, who don't do that. Hello. Simply. It's yeah, different so- than good afternoon. Well, you know, it's funny. There's a big article in the New York Times, I think it's this morning, about Nordstrom fighting the trend and opening big stores in New York City while all the other retailers are closing them. But the reason, you know, I studied Nordstrom a lot in the past, but, you know, relative to this and relative to my managing by wandering around, there was a woman I got to know reasonably well. I don't remember her last name. Her first name was Betsy. And we were talking about being a hotel manager. And she said, you know, always I had the most god awful set of problems sitting on my desk. And I would sit there and my temperature would go up and I would boil and then I would always do the same thing. I would say, okay, the world is not going to end in the next 45 minutes. I'm going out and talk with the troops. And she said, I would talk with people. There would be a 30-minute conversation. There would be a two-minute conversation. There might be a couple of four-minute conversations. And she said, it was like a miracle. I would walk back into my office. I would have a smile on my face in spite of myself. And all these intractable problems would suddenly look solvable. And she said, it was just because I'd been out there And I'd hung out with my team. And she said, I played college basketball and our team, you know, there was at least as cohesive and at least as committed as doing a good job as, you know, we we were in the day of days of playing basketball. So one of the things about assembling your team, and I follow you on Twitter and it's very entertaining and also very insightful and and I love it. But you have a, you had a one tweet there that I actually use on my slide decks when I present. And you said your hiring advice is only hire nice people, don't hire shitheads. And so help. Yes. I, help. I mean, that was stolen. And interestingly enough, it was stolen from somebody who's the CEO of a middle-sized pharmaceutical company. Mm-hmm. But relative to this, what he said, I mean, there are two things. First of all, the most fascinating part is you have some biosciences degree from Stanford or MIT, and it's the sexiest thing in the world. And he interviews you and he says, oh, my gosh, and he's God, I would give my left arm to have Lee. But you have to, to use his term, not mine, run the gauntlet. Mm -hmm. And the gauntlet means you've got to meet with 15 or so people from the receptionist to other scientists to somebody in the finance department. Any one of those 15 can blackball you if, in fact, they don't think you have the right attitude and spirit. And he said, the reason I do it is I am completely convinced in terms of that corporate culture thing again. He said, I am completely convinced that one bad apple can ruin the bushel. I've seen that happen. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. As, as have I. Yeah. Yeah. No, we, we all, you know, we all have. And anybody who's played sports knows it on sports teams. That's you know, right. It's entirely possible for one person with a crappy attitude to, you know, really, really bring the whole darn thing down. And, and the magical part is when you have the addition by subtraction. Yeah. No, I, yeah. Yes, it, yes, it is indeed. 
It's, and the addition by subtraction is actually multiplication, you could say. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. oh, well, Tom, <laughs> because, it's all, because they're all about division. So. <laughs> right. Yeah. Let's just keep going on this. Sure. We, can, we can completely confuse the audience and ourselves. Cancel all your other appointments. We'll just Welcome to Calculus Today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Tom. We are so proud to have you be on the show and the Excellence Dividend. Everybody go out and get it. And TomPeters.com as well. And if they want to tweet at you, where else can people reach out to you, Tom? What's your preferred? The Twitter is Tom underscore Peters. And I'd love to talk on Twitter. I'd love to have you come visit the website. We also have a, a site called excellencenow.com where you will find the slide presentations, every one that I have used over the last 15 years. My view of the world is the more you can give away, the more that will come back to you. And I, I really do believe that. So I think there are a lot of ways to get in touch. And, and this has been a wonderful conversation. And I really love you guys. It's been great. Um, my pleasure. Oh, my God. Thanks, Tom. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and recommend on iTunes, Overcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also get more great information at salesfuel.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.